when someone um, yeah. someone dies and then they just get back to work, right? So they don't process their grief, right? right? That type of concept. If you don't process it, definitely your children, your grandchildren are going to process it for you. So this is the What is Sexy podcast. What's sexy? You are. Here, we're helping you live as your sexy self, exploring sexiness as a gateway to mind, body, spirit, healing, intuitive intelligence, high performance, and even self-actualization for your most alive and fulfilling life. Here, we're bringing you the juice across cultures, constructs, and ideas of past and present in order for you to embody even more of your full potential and come home to your sexy self. Oh my goodness, this episode. Vanille Makwakwa is the founder of Wealthy Money, a company that helps women heal ancestral trauma so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts and live their best lives. She's also the author of Heart, Mind, and Money, Using Emotional Intelligence for Financial Success. I am so inspired always by how this woman follows her guidance and shows up and keeps it real. She is a former client of mine when I used to be a coach and we just get deep and have a lot of laughs. So I hope you enjoy this one. Can't wait to hear your takeaways. What is the sound of a woman claiming her wealth? Yes, yes. Like Definitely yeah. orgasmic. Yes, yes, mm. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I gotta give you one more now. <laughs> Go for it. I love it. <laughs> what is the sound of a lot of money on the ledger of your bank account when you see Woo-hoo. it? Like literally excitement. (laughs) Yes, we both clap. Bravo. I'm like, are we clapping as a part of the sound or are we clapping at that amazing performance? (laughs) I'm going to say it's a both and. But I definitely do clap. I'm like, I go crazy. I clap. I do dances. I mean, why not? Me too. Yes. Life is to be joy. Let's celebrate. Hell yes. I love that. Maybe we should do the sexy part now too before we do the questions. Then we could be all like questions. Okay. So this is the say it sexy. I feel like sacrilegious about to say this. This is hilarious how I feel. Okay. Anyway. Um, Say systems of oppression. Oh my gosh, how do I make that sexy? <laughs> systems of oppression. <laughs> nice. See, I appreciate this one because often we don't want to say stuff that we know sucks. Right? <laughs> Give me something that you might say to yourself when your when your nervous system is regulated around money, like when you can feel that stability. What's a phrase you might say? Mm, uh, one of the things that I will say is that like I always um, say I have more than enough money. Oh right? yes, okay. Tell us this. I have more than enough money sexy of course (laughs) Mm, I have more more 
more than enough money. Yeah, the inspiration more. 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 Oh my God, that's so awesome. I'm like, okay, we're complete. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love it though. I just talk like that the whole rest of the time, would you? <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> Should make all the guests come on and only use their sexy voice for their interviews. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is how I feel on this topic. <laughs> oh, this is why I'm fucking so excited about this podcast. <laughs> This is hilarious. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just became super fun. And maybe that's what this podcast is supposed to be. Like, yes. we're going to be going heavy, but I feel like maybe it's where it's supposed to be going. <laughs> I absolutely, I feel like, especially with, you know, and I've moved out of coaching, but even still just the, the weight that so many things can carry. And obviously, you know, doing the diversity yeah. work and all of that, it's like, but the aliveness is light and playful and fun and joys. And it looks at say like shitty situations or trauma and kind of engulfs it because it has, it's like bigger than the trauma. Right. So it has space to to like hold it and surround it. I love that. It's getting me to really realize that like actually a huge part of how we as people, as black people that have maneuvered trauma as people of color around the world have maneuvered such hectic traumas has been by allowing joy in and allowing the playfulness in, right? It's been about in the midst of the worst of situations we've been able to dance we've been able to sing we've created Mm. art we've been creative so that has been part of the releasing even as I'm saying this I'm realizing that you would think that trauma would sometimes birth trauma right and sometimes it does but trauma can also be transmuted into all of this good stuff right so it's like I think a critical for healing is how do you introduce how do you heal um and also keep the lightness or how can the energy of lightness or sexiness or any of this light energy help in the healing of the heaviness because i think that heaviness if your healing is heavy and whatever you're dealing with is heavy sometimes it's just heavy heavy Right. Right. So it's super, super critical to have that lightness and that playfulness and all that come into play. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this energy that we call sexy is also right. It's, it's creative. Mm -hmm. So what are you creating with it? You know, by design, you can alchemize something of past because you're creating something new. In fact, a lot of performers intentionally channel a certain emotion. I've heard particularly anger and actually a lot of civil rights activists over the many, many years have also specifically worked with transmuting anger or say channeling anger into something, you know, something, a movement, Mm. (laughs) something that's created. And anger is such a powerful emotion because 
it carries a transformational element in it, right? If you're in shame, mm. if you're in guilt, it's just low. The feeling mm. of being depressed yes. is low. It, there, there's no yes. like riled up in it. It's like, fuck it, I'm going to go lie down and shut the yep. door and sit in the dark and not do anything, um, mm. right? Whereas anger, there's there's this well of energy. There's a spring that's coming through yeah. you it's an it's an energizing emotion in a in a sense, and so it makes sense. I was that so we scared of it. Oh, of course, I think, because like, we've been conditioned so to be terrified of anger. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because one of the biggest things that I've had to work with on my journey, especially when it comes to tapping into womb healing um, and into healing ancestral trauma stored in the womb, has been anger. Like, and even I would say as recent as even my most recent period, I was Mm. just like, I feel into my period pains because I don't take painkillers. And I just be like, I'm going to breathe into this and feel what's causing this pain. And it would just be anger. But this Mm. time around, my most recent period, which actually was like a week ago (laughs) from now, I felt into that and then there was anger and in the midst of it, I was like, I'm just going to keep breathing anger, anger. And I kid you not, I was like, okay, I'm fine now. Then I was like, I'm going to put on a movie because I don't work for three, the first three days of my cycle. And I was like, I'm going to put on a movie and chill. I don't even know what I was watching. I think I was watching American Gods season three and like in the middle of like freaking American Gods season three, do I not just break down and not just break down I start hollering like I am at a funeral those Mm. African funerals where like they have to hold you back I hollered and screamed and just it was I couldn't stop it for like a full hour and Mm. I realized that that anger was also like that women in my family we spent years masking our pain and sadness with anger we had to learn to transmute that sadness and that pain into anger in order to keep going you right. know so I wasn't just crying for me I literally wasn't just crying for me I was having memories of my aunts my mom my grandmothers the way that we had compromised ourselves in relationships with men financially with jobs with everything and I just cried I I mean my sister's dog uh, was in the house and she as I was a dog sitting her and my mom's dog dogs were outside and my mom's dog came up to the window of my bedroom and was just just came to sit there. My sister's dog came in and was just like, what is happening? And she's like trying to like support me through this. And I'm just like, just screaming. So just like, and I realized that anger, and it's something that I think I've always been so, don't let the anger overrun. Don't let it, don't feel it too deeply right. because then you don't want to be the angry black woman. You don't want to be too angry, right? But then I realized that actually, because I'd been letting myself sit on my cycle, constantly breathe into the anger, constantly feel into it, I was able to finally unmask it yes. and get down to the depths of this pain. 
And I mean, the way I cried, even I shocked myself. Mm. I don't think I've ever cried like that. Unprovoked, even provoked. <laughs> I, I'm like, <laughs> right. I, I don't remember crying like that. Like, well, I, I was like, I had the true cry of an African woman at a funeral, mm. rolling on the ground, crying. Mm. I was rolling on my bed. I was losing it. But I think it was apparently very necessary because I felt so light afterwards. I'm so glad I did that. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, I was <laughs> just about to say, as soon as you said that, I'm like, I'm so glad you did that. And it's funny, just now you said <laughs> I was losing it. And I think a lot of times when we say, oh, I was losing it or they're losing it, it's seen as right, they're losing control or there's something wrong. Mm. You were losing, you were through giving away, right? Through releasing, through surrendering to it. You were losing the power that it was holding over you. It was losing Mm. the power Mm. it was having. Because what so many people, I love what you spoke to, so many people don't realize about anger is that anger is the surface of a deeper emotion. Typically, not always, but often it's grief. Right mm. or helplessness, hopelessness. It's something. It's something yeah. deeper, um, and people are afraid to face their anger because it. They may or may not know this consciously, but when they face their anger, they have to come face to face with this deeper mm. grief, this deeper place. And then, of course, there's what you said: the stereotype around the angry, angry black women, or even just women in general. This idea that it's not yeah. safe or okay to be angry. Um, examples across genders of anger actually causing harm and hurting people. So I think also mm-hmm. unwinding the idea that our anger is damaging in some way. It's so much more damaging to hold the anger inside than to give yes. yourself space to to process it and actually just was that last week this past week I celebrated within myself this massive what felt like a massive win so as a songwriter and musical artist you know writing this songs you want to get to a place of real emotion to communicate what it is Mm. that you're saying and so I recently went back in time um, to an experience of sexual assault And I remembered um, I was writing it and I could feel that I was dancing around the true emotion. I wasn't conveying the thing. So I turned off the lights, actually covered my head so it would feel dark. So I could feel for me, that's how I can feel safe to go into the emotion. I intentionally relived the feeling of the trauma in order to mm. remember what it felt like so that I could put it, communicate it into this song. That's powerful. And I was so, just how you said I was proud of myself. I was like, afterwards, I was like, I just did that. Like, I created safety for myself to intentionally go feel not just my anger or, you know, like the feelings mm. I was having in the moment, but to feel the trauma so that I could reconnect to the feeling directly I definitely don't recommend this for most people Um, definitely I've done that (laughs) several times but I think it can re-traumatize people if they don't know what it is that they're doing exactly but I found it very cathartic and very healing and as a process just like you as a process to just release you know so that it no longer has any power over me 
A hundred percent. And yeah, and I think those two stories we just shared, mine is like, I know this trauma thing, I'm going specifically into it. Whereas mm. yours, which I, I do recommend for anybody, is simply to, I mean, what you slowed yourself enough to let it come through. And mm. part of oppression is to just keep going, go fast, 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 fast. Like yeah. to go so fast that you you disconnect from the truth of what's happening internally. And I think that yeah. can be what's scary for people too. Is like, oh shit, if I slow down, this is going to come up mm. and I don't want to face it. I've been avoiding it, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like when someone, yeah. um, someone dies and then they just get back to work, right? So they don't process their grief, right? right? That type of concept. If you don't process it, definitely your children, your grandchildren are going to process it for you. <laughs> so that is Word. the, that's just it. It just gets passed on from one generation to the next. Cause I definitely feel like that was what was happening with me. Mm. The, uh, the last period was that like I was processing all and the grief and the sadness. I realized that the anger came from the sadness and the grief. Right. But the anger itself yeah. also stemmed from the fact that like I've grown up watching women who were brilliant, who are incredible, powerful in their own right, not be too much. You know my entire story from doing the mastermind with you that it was always like a thing for me. I don't want to be too much. I don't want to be too much so that they can be accepted, so that they can like learn how to exist within systems of oppression or within society so that they can be acceptable. But in so doing, I've also watched these women up close and personal because I am their descendant, right. compromise so much of themselves, that there's so much pain in compromising your light, your brilliance, etc. And then inheriting that as a way of moving through the world. But then it becomes like this weird cognitive dissonance because you're like, but my soul wants this and you're like, but I've, I'm already doing too much. I don't want to be too much. If I go all the way there, then I'm going to be too much. So carrying just that, it doesn't seem like a trauma, but if it's been generationally like that from your great grandmother, like I remember my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mom, my aunt, seeing all these people, right? And yeah. all these women, and you see how they make these small compromises, but every single compromise is so that they can not shine too brightly so that they can exist within this world. Or that's mm. what they believe that they have to do in order to remain safe in this world. Right. right? So then you take that on as a way of living. And I was thinking about it that, I call that a soul trauma because it's not, it's almost like a trauma that you, it's a trauma that is passed down from generation to generation inherited. So it's intergenerational, but then you learn how to oppress yourself and how mm. to beat yourself down and how to fracture your soul in order to walk through this world in order to exist in this world. So there's, so the way that I look at it is it's like little soul fractures through time in order for us to keep existing. But by the time you're on your deathbed, the soul is so fractured. There's like, 
no wholeness. You can't remember what it's like to be whole. So for me, it's mm. like a soul trauma that is both self-inflicted, intergenerationally inherited, all of these things. So how do you deal with that? And at the end of the day, I was like, I realized that it's not just, I didn't even know who I could be angry at because of that, mm. you know? So it's like anger at the divine, anger at systems, it's anger at myself, it's anger at these women, it's anger just so much. And that's what also made it so hard to fully feel it because who is this anger directed at? Because I'm also co-opting in my own soul oppression. I'm also mm. co-opting the fracture of the soul and like making sure that like I am squeezing myself down so that I can be accepted. Totally. What's your understanding of ancestral trauma and how does that differ from what you just mentioned with soul trauma? I'm only now starting to understand soul trauma. My understanding of ancestral trauma is ancestral trauma is trauma that is passed down from one generation to the next, right? So it's that there are certain, um, there are events. So trauma is not a large event as most people are now aware of. It's mm. that it's something that it's either an event that are, uh, that happened too quickly for us to process or an event that left us uh, feeling powerless, right? So at times our ancestors just didn't have the resources, maybe from childhood or through systems or things that just moving through so fast. You don't have the opportunity to sit down and process a particular event and what happened. And in so doing, it affects your nervous system and also affects the way that you see the world and how you move through the world as a person or the way that you interact with the world and starts to change your behavior. This, obviously, the memory stored within the cells of your body and can be passed down from generation to generation. But not only that, the behavior itself is then learned and then taught to the next generation, mm, which mm -hmm. then makes sense if like, say, for example, because my work is main is around money. I don't want to say mainly, but it's around money, except as anyone listening can hear that like my work is I do work on the womb. I do work on the body, really past lives. So I do a lot of that work around money. But coming always comes back to ancestral trauma so now as you are uh, uh, as you're bringing up the next generation it makes sense that if I'm holding on to this particular event that has been unprocessed that hasn't mm. been fully integrated into my nervous system and I'm behaving this way that this is what would make me feel safe it's probably going to make sense that maybe this one uh someone the next generation your daughter or your great grandmother was taught like say for example looking at South Africa where historically uh black people were uh, their land was taken away in the middle of the night and you're just like completely displaced and then suddenly you're not understanding why you don't feel safe holding on to things, even money. So mm. holding on to possessions or money because it doesn't feel safe because it could be taken away and then you could be left with nothing. So maybe for your great grandparents, it mm. just felt safer for them to just not hold on to anything. Because if you don't 
hold on to anything, then it can be taken from you. Mm. If I don't rebuild, then it can be taken from me. And then I never have to re-experience the trauma of losing a home or losing my ancestral land Ooh. or losing that connection to where my ancestors were buried and that history. So it's best to just not own anything. So now you are taught that. Then there's a story in the family that starts to develop. We're not a people that holds on to things. We don't care about holding on to things. It's just material possessions. It's land, houses. It doesn't matter if you rent or own. It's not a big deal. So your great-grandmother says that, tells your grandmother that, right? And mm. your grandmother is born into this system of oppression mm. where like the land can be taken from them at any time. So it makes sense to her to not hold on to anything. So now this becomes a cultural story. This becomes a story in the family. It gets passed down to the next generation, the next generation. Now you've got my generation that is free to own land. We've now been told you've got freedom, et cetera. And people are out here being like, but why do I not feel safe owning property? Why is it so hard for me to allow myself to make the money to own the property? Why is it that every time I make money to own property, I lose the property? Well, let's go back to the trauma of what it's like to lose land, to lose property, to lose the connection to mm. the land when we are a people that are deeply connected to the land. When mm. we are a people that now, in my generation, where we can't even remember where we have buried our dead from like five, six, seven generations ago because we've been so far removed from that and we've been so displaced. That mm. trauma is now coming through as, and I cannot allow myself to own anything. So that's ancestral trauma, right? So Ooh. that's just an example of ancestral trauma and how we will look at it and be like, but these people are just so lazy. So why do they do this with money? Why do they not prioritize property? Why do they not prioritize land? Why do they not prioritize car ownership? Well, let's talk about what, the history of losing assets and the trauma of that and what that would look like and why would you want to keep owning that? So ancestral trauma, right? Soul trauma from my understanding, and again, guys, this is like brand new for me, right? Like, I'm <laughs> like I understood it as I'm doing the work on the womb and I just, I come up with these words around trauma and bodies of work. And what my understanding is of soul trauma is that, you have now learned this way of existing, but then you have um, to exist in this world. Part of what you have learned is how to betray your soul in mm. order to keep alive. Because then there's the survival mm. issues of being on this planet. You've had to make really hard decisions of, do I honor my soul? Do I listen to that still voice within? Do I remain true to who I am at a very soul level? Or do I just shut it down? Or do I compromise it? Or do I do what my guidance is saying I should do, but I do it halfway and I still keep the ways of the world because this is mm. too scary to follow the guidance. My ego says that I may lose everything. The right? internal guidance. Yeah. Yes, the internal guidance. So as I'm listening to what my internal guidance is saying, so the soul trauma is literally, the way I'm understanding soul trauma is 
the disconnection from your soul, like literal disconnection or suppression or ignoring or tampering or compromising. And I suppose that we all have that to be able to survive. So I have to say, (laughs) y'all. So when I was a coach, uh, Vanille was, as she mentioned, in a mastermind offered, I just want to give you so many kudos and props for how often you do listen. You are incredible at listening. And obviously we can always improve and all of that stuff, but you are so excellent at following your guidance in so many ways. Just get easier. It does. It's a, right. It's a muscle. It is something we can practice and learn. Um, And right. And when we have the experience of doing it and being like, oh, I didn't die. Oh, that was actually kind of great. Oh, I feel better now that I did that because I don't feel the heaviness of, I love what you said, soul betrayal. I don't feel the heaviness of having betrayed my soul. My God, that needs to be in a song. How does somebody tap into ancestral wisdom, right? We talked about the trauma. How do they tap into the wisdom and use that to support their, whether it's wealth consciousness or actually experiencing the receiving of the wealth, the receiving of maybe their business growing or scaling, and actually not just receiving it, but having it and holding it and keeping it. Mm, Wow. Yeah, I love that. The holding and the having is big, right? Because we can receive it, but we sometimes have a challenge holding. And one of the things that I have constantly seen is it's actually not as deep as people think of it. It really, really is simple, is that you just keep getting present. So Every time you are managing money, you're noticing, you tap into your body, you notice, you know? So if you're feeling like, oh my God, why am I taking so long sending out the invoice? You don't make yourself wrong. You don't push through sending out the invoice. You just go, hmm, okay, where's the block? Where's the resistance? You go into the body, you feel into it, you breathe, you breathe, you breathe, and then you just keep breathing until you ask what is and then you can simply ask what is the belief behind this what am I holding on to what thoughts am I holding on to what beliefs have I taken on what memories are coming um are keeping me in this position or causing the sensation in my body and you Mm -hmm. just keep breathing into that and whatever arises, you sit with it, you observe it, you keep breathing through it. And I promise you, the more that you just start to release, the more you start to tap into that wisdom and that ancestral wisdom. And then another thing that like, I would definitely say to people is that you can literally do um, sessions where you call onto your ancestors. So in South African culture, mainly traditions were oral right so our histories were passed on from one one generation to the next orally most of it was also written contrary to popular belief but there was Mm. a lot of oral tradition what we know is that if you know the surnames of your ancestors like you know how you came to be this person. We call it Tupatla, which is where you sit down and you call on all your ancestors. You can literally call on all your ancestors either in a meditation. So if you know their surname and you know the generational lineage that this one begets, this one begets, this one begets, this one, call on them and ask. And you can literally have a conversation with your ancestors and just say, so this is what's come up for me. 
um, what do y'all think about this? What's come <laughs> up for you? <laughs> you know, and sometimes yeah. you can sense a thing. If you're clear audience, you'll hear it. If you're visual, you'll see it. If you're more sensory, you'll sense it. If you're just one of those people that just knows the answer, you'll you'll just know it because I, I think most people kind of make this to be a bigger thing than it really has to be. Mm. Right. Because they go, um, they say, Oh, one thing, it is a big thing. Please tell, uh, say you call on the ancestors with good intentions only. Right. Because these yes. were things that lived. Yes. And so on the other side, they also have their own agendas. So call on those with good intentions and with the highest, um, that hold the highest intention for you and for everyone yes. else. Right. So, um, so as you're talking to them, just have a conversation. My sister is a shaman and she always says, just have a conversation with them she does the real shaman stuff right so I'm giving you guys like how can I say like the 101 version like the grade one version which is what I do because I'm not a shaman right <laughs> so you can call on them in meditation and just have that conversation and sometimes you may not see them and sometimes you may not hear them. So you'll receive the messages in your way. Some people say to me, but I don't hear or see anything or feel anything, etc. during the meditation itself. And then they're like, but a week later, like the most insane wisdom answering that will come through. And I'm yes. like, yeah, your body probably received that. Your mind probably received that. But because you were not an open channel yet, you couldn't receive it so as you go about and as you're like living your lives and releasing things and letting go you now become a channel and then the information now drops so it's just hanging in the ether or it's just embedded in your dna now but you are not able to access it so and you don't need to believe in ancestors because well you are your ancestors right now this is you there's mm. nothing to believe you are the DNA, like this is, as you are, you are the walking manifestation of your ancestors. You carry their yes. memories, you carry their Snaps. wisdom, you carry their trauma, you carry all of that. So you can literally call on them and start having conversations. And this can get really freaky. I've had clients say that like <laughs> they've called on, they've done some of the, uh, some of the meditations I offer and they'd be like, and then this ancestor told me this is who they were and this is what they do and, 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 and then one client was like, I went to my mom and I sat her down and my mom was like, who the hell is teaching you these things? What is happening? Because this is exactly who my mother was, who my grandmother mm -hmm. was. They did own shops. This is how they did do things. I was like, just tell your mom not to be freaked out. We're not doing anything wild here. We're just tapping into what is already within you. Yes. But so much of what is happening without trauma, what trauma also does is it teaches us that we are powerless. It teaches yes. us to doubt ourselves mm -hmm. so that we do not know how to trust ourselves. So what we have learned over time, again, that comes back to the soul trauma, but also the ancestral trauma, right? Because our ancestors also learned to do this so that they could survive in this world is that every single piece of information is outside of themselves and that if they want to live and thrive, then they have to go outside of themselves to get that information. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I wish I had time to dive deeper into at least five different things you said. <laughs> 
do we need a round two potentially um yeah i can't wait to hear what people what the responses to this um because i also work with ancestral healing um yeah. and yeah just all the questions that come up for oh people you that don't do. feel like they can connect um oh yeah <laughs> of course you know this. Oh my gosh, um Vanille's ancestors are amazing <laughs> Oh. Working with Lizara was awesome because of that. Because my ancestors would just come to the party and like Lizara's ancestors. I was just like, oh my god! Whenever she would play the uh, the drums, I would. I was like, it feels like my cells are literally wanting to tear themselves apart. It was such a visceral, physical experience. So yeah, no, you definitely have your ancestors drumming for you. <laughs> <laughs> really powerful like I'd have to like completely like be knocked out sometimes because you know like sometimes you'd start playing and I'd be like wake up way into like minutes after the set like 30 minutes later I'd be like oh uh, they have been coaching for a while time has really passed now <laughs> Oh my god. You know what? So um Nathan, my partner and I were just saying last night. Oh, this is I actually need to do a separate episode on this. This concept of sleeping, falling asleep, not necessarily meaning that you're exhausted. So so often people compare it to like a battery that needs a recharge, but I've more recently realized that going to sleep is actually it's like when the if we're going to use a technology analogy, it's like when your system needs the operating update. It's not mm. like the exhaustion. And so last night we listened to something that had this all this deep information in it that countered what we've been taught to believe in mainstream society. And both oh. of us started to close our eyes and kind of drift. Um, and I stayed awake and I think he did too. But we talked about it afterwards. Like, oh, we just noticed that we both did that. Um, and a lot oh. of times especially for people who uh, feel like they're struggling to tap in or to feel the connection to their intuition, to their guidance, et cetera. So often that drowsiness is actually supporting the sub, the conscious mind getting out of the way. Um, mm, yes. The subconscious okay. and the unconscious that's easier to establish these connections. Um, yeah. And so I love that you said that you either fell asleep or kind of drifted in and out of consciousness because oh. that's that's honestly that's the point you know of trance drumming yeah. and the point of certain types of sound healing and so that the connection yeah. can happen, so that a lot of times so that the healing can happen um because we have all these stories that we placed on top of it but the truth is that you know going to the essence of it is where you can release it or heal it or be with it or get the lesson, the wisdom, et cetera. Um, mm. So yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up the like falling asleep part. Um, Cause yeah. people think something's wrong. Oh, I fell asleep. I didn't do it right. It's like, no, yes. your body gives you exactly what you need. And often is to pass you out for a second. <laughs> Thank goodness. Right. right? Cause, and I yes. could actually feel when sometimes you'd be drumming I would feel like it is too overwhelming for me to receive whatever is trying to happen. Like I would literally feel like parts of me are trying to recalibrate. Something is trying to happen and information is try is trying to come through. And yeah. I would literally be like, I am choosing to sleep. There would be times when I'd be like, 
I can feel like I have a choice. I could stay awake for this or else I could just like willingly sleep, not to have to deal with the actual process because it is too overwhelming for me in that moment. Mm-hmm, totally. I love that, that you <laughs> named the conscious choice. Like it's, it's kind of when people talk about surrendering and surrender is often framed as like a you lost the war and you wave a white flag. Like, <laughs> that's not this, right? <laughs> the choice yeah. to get out of our own way to yield to something, yeah. whether it's something greater or yielding to the connection, yielding to the potential. And in Sexy yeah. Sound Healing, we talk about embodying your true nature. It's, it's, it's that, it's the potential. And so last question, I think, because we could go on for absolutely ever. And I love you. And thank you for doing this in the middle of the night over there. Um, this two-part question. Okay. What does sexy mean to you? And what makes you feel most sexy? Mm, I so love those questions. I'm going to uh, ex- I'll explain this in an analogy. The very first time I started doing, I went to do my tantra yoga training. I'd been in tantra sessions and things, and people had told me, and I'd been like, oh, I'm doing like yoni massages, and tantra to me was like sexual energy, all that. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to do tantra <laughs> yoga, and I'm going to go to an ashram in India, and I'm going to learn all this and I move and I lived in an ashram in Goa and India and do tantra yoga for like eight hours a day and I kept and they were like no we're not going to be talking a lot about like the western side of like sex and sexuality we're going to be talking about the philosophy of tantra and you're going to be practicing tantra yoga so I do this and then I leave the ashram and I keep doing it for like another month on my own in my apartment in Goa because I still don't know people and then the wildest thing happens. True freaking story. The first day I decide I'm now going to go out and start socializing with humans. Because now I'm like, okay, it's been two months. Like you can't just like be in the yoga space the whole time. Like you've just, <laughs> you've got to go see humans. So then suddenly everywhere I go, It's just people are commenting on my energy Mm. and I'm being gifted things Mm. everywhere. Like I go to the flea market. Do you want this? I go to a restaurant. This dinner is free. This, this, and this Mm. goes on for like three months of my life to the point where it actually freaks me out. And I decide to leave India and move to a small little (laughs) village in South Korea where no one speaks English and everyone speaks Korean because I did not know what was happening. So. Mm. that really changed my concept of what sexy is, right? So I think sexy is something like I didn't change, right? I was wearing the same clothes as I'd had for years. I didn't change at all. But I think it's just what happened in that moment was I just started to drop into my body and I just became more and more comfortable with my body. It was also a subtle shift where I just, loved what I was seeing and how I was feeling so I feel like sexy really is just love of self but Mm. just a little deeper you know just like it's not just love of self but more like a falling in love with self because I will say that I'm working to 
get that feeling back because it so freaked me out. People always hear me talk about this. And there's so many stories from this. When I say so many things happened in that three months that like my nervous system could not hold the goodness of it. Mm. And that's why I freaked out. But it was so people I was like, oh, that would be fun. Um, I'm here to tell you that when you haven't learned how to hold it and your receiving set point hasn't increased, exactly. it is hella scary. I was going home every day crying because I didn't know what to do with everything that I was receiving. And I actually, mm-hmm. this will sound weird, but when I moved to South Korea, I actually prayed and said, can the receiving please stop? Can I please stop being given? Can the goodness stop? Mm-hmm. I prayed as in like a real prayer to the divine because I did not know what to do with it. But yeah, so sexy to me is attractive energy that comes from just falling in love with oneself. And I feel like I'm still undoing that prayer six years later, Mm. like still working on like being like, and I can still feel a little bit of that fear from that time, even as I talk about this, like, Mm. do I want to go back there? Yes, yes, I do, but... As you guys can tell, as I'm saying now, it is a process because it was intense. It was three yeah. months of just woeness. Mm. <laughs> I can only imagine because I know how magnetic you are right now. <laughs> and in the last years I've known you. Um, and that brings up such an important point of why not only, you know, historically how we were intentionally disconnected from the, that energy, but also why it doesn't feel safe. I feel like what you shared is actually quite full circle with the concept of ancestral trauma and how systems of yeah. oppression, right, epigenetically have made it to us individually. You don't just, not necessarily, <laughs> jump to having all of it now because you might literally hurt yourself, hurt your, your nervous system. But yeah. there's this gradual process that whatever your speed is, whatever your evolution is, to mm. feel safer and safer with yeah. this energy because what it is this is your this is power energy is a form of power so it's that that sense of okayness that sense of security that sense of trust with yeah. holding and having that much power not just the external expressions of it but carrying it in you as you as you walk through the world. So I really appreciate you naming It was so scary. I would go to places. I was getting hit on every single night. And <laughs> men, guys, this is a true story. Men would jump. I would like pass by on my scooter. Men would jump onto scooters, onto cars and chase me down the road. It became a normal occurrence to just say, we need to have dinner with you. We need to have lunch with you. I was like, God, this is unsafe. And also just because as a woman, that felt for me very scary because, you know, men and everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> men and everything. That sounds like something to unpack. <laughs> okay. What makes you feel most sexy? Hmm. It's boring, but safety. Oh my God, that's not boring. Safety is sexy <laughs> as hell. I mean, sorry, that you can choose to believe that. My my belief, <laughs> my understanding safety is that safety, cr- safety creates the, the playground, 
right? For yeah. for something to be sexy. I love Thank that. You. Yeah. Safety is sexy. I'm like <laughs> snapping at myself. <laughs> it's true. Oh, snap with it it is. is. It is. It is a such an important part, right? Oh my gosh. That just makes me think about we actual can- sex now. Like especially in the light of what I shared, like feeling safe to open, right? As a female in particular, feeling safe to open. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. That's hell. Yeah. Safety is sexy. I love that. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, I'm so grateful for you, for your voice, for your journey and the work that you're doing. You are freaking phenomenal in every way. If you don't already know Vanille Makwakwa, you're going to go look at all the things look at all the things she is changing the game in a lot of ways and spaces so you'll definitely want to look out for her over these next few years and what's going on so thank you again smooches thank you thank you lisara you're amazing so glad you joined us for today's episode share this episode on your ig tiktok youtube or facebook because we love to repost your shares let us know if you have a favorite quote and if you're not already hit the follow button on spotify or the plus button on apple podcasts and subscribe to the youtube channel to be connected and ensure that you get the next episode i cannot wait to talk to you more soon